It's eight o'clock. This is Chaim Bravender, and we're learning a little bit about the parish of Bamidbar. This uh, shear has been given in memory of Yosef Hirsch on his 19th year site. Um, there are few, uh, sometimes young people have a tremendous, you feel that they have a tremendous amount of potential. Yosef Hirsch was way beyond these years in his concern for the Jewish people, especially in in Europe, which he had visited and knew a little bit about. And he understood, he understood that saving the greater Jewish population was connected to saving the Jews in smaller populations. And this is an idea that's been accepted by a variety of people, but I think that he was one of the people who who urged it. And sadly, we uh, celebrate his Yurtzeit today. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder about Hamisha Chumshe Torah. Is there a reason to have five books of the Torah? Couldn't uh, God put it into one book? And and it is actually in one book. I mean, even though it's true that today it's uh, very convenient in some ways to get five different chumashim, one for Breshit, one for Shmot, etc. The fact of the matter is that the entirety of the Torah is written on a scroll that we read from in the Beit HaKnesset. In the Beit HaKnesset, we don't take out Breshit or Vayikra. We take out the Torah. The Torah, and even though Halacha demands that there's a certain division between the book of Breshit, the book of Shemot, the book of Shemot, the book of Vayikra, there are some blank lines. Okay, does that mean it's another book? After all, the book or the books are all wrapped up in one scroll. So why indeed, why indeed are the the books of the Torah called books when there really is just one book? Now we, we mentioned the fact previous weeks that the parish of Shlach, parish of Shlach, which is the fifth parish of Bamidbar, Nosel, Baloscha, Shlach, you see the fourth parish, the fourth parish in the book of, of Bamidbar is the parish that represents, is the parish that represents the great sin of Am Yisrael. In many ways, greater yet than the sin of the Egel Azahav. Because the Egel Azahav, the golden calf, we know that the golden calf was <clears throat> was a sin of idolatry. Whether it was real idolatry or 90% idolatry or 80% idolatry, it was somehow connected to idolatry. Now, idolatry as the Torah says again and again, is a terrible transgression 
However, it seems to be understandable. Understandable, I mean, a person falls to idolatry. It may be because he's misguided about how to serve God, but in some way he wants to serve God. And so the people of Israel, thinking that Moshe Rabbeinu was not returning, thinking that the that the uh, uh, whatever they had they had counted on was no longer to be counted upon, they turned to some other source of power and might, and that's called idolatry. So that somehow, somehow it seems to me that as terrible and as heinous a transgression as idolatry is, it's understandable. The human condition demands support. And if I feel somehow that I'm not being supported, I look for other sources of that kind of support. However, when it comes to the Chaita Maraglim, it was a Kodesh Baruch who said, I'm giving you Eretz Kenan. The Kodesh Baruch who said, it's a good place to be. It was a Kodesh Baruch who told them that their, their historical existence is dependent upon getting to Eretz Israel. So it seems to me that maybe this rejection of the divine promise is itself an unthinkable kind of, not about a rejection of God, so to speak, it's just a rejection of what God told them and gave them. And they knew that the history of the promise goes back to Avram Avinu. So it may be that the transgression of the Miraglim is greater yet than the transgression of of the Hegel Azahav. And what I wanted to say was the interesting thing, I mean, I mean, you have to just remember with the parish of Shlach, the interesting thing is that the punishment that Am Yisrael had to endure for the Miraglim was greater yet than the punishment that they had to endure for the Chet Egel, Because the punishment for the Miraglim, for the, the spies that they sent that came back and dissuaded the people from following the directive of HaKadosh Baruch Their punishment was that history would move backwards. And if leaving Mitzrayim, if leaving Mitzrayim was a kind of a geula, a redemption, a new start, a new direction, Overcoming time is being something valuable instead of being something irrelevant. The punishment that B'nai Yisrael received for the transgression of the Chaita Maraglim was that time would move backwards, that they would be going nowhere, that nothing would happen, would be as though nothing had happened. And we'll see that word in the words of the, of the Ramban, Exile, galut, not geula, the punishment that Am Yisrael had to suffer for the chet of Maraglim was not 
a physical punishment. They just all died natural deaths eventually. It wasn't a physical punishment. It was a the punishment was a rejection of Geulah. The punishment was the rejection. But Ezra, they didn't know exactly what they were doing. But HaKadosh Baruch told them that you have rejected the redemption of Yitziat Mitzrayim, so you're just going to go around and around, pointlessly, aimlessly, with no particular direction, not going anywhere. And this is the first national in, uh, understanding of Geulah and Galut. Geulah means you're going somewhere. And Galut, you're not going anywhere at all. So Bnei Yisrael, in the parish of Shalach, tells us, the parish of Shalach tells us the story of the Chet of Raglim, and the punishment for the Raglim was, and Akadosh very serious about the punishment. The people wanted to go anyway. They said, oh no, what have we done? How can we do this? Let's go. Akadosh said, no, no. They went, and they were not successful because when the punishment is galut, when the punishment is exile, that punishment will be determined and given and accepted by B'nai Yisrael. And since then, we understand. We understand what the difference in galut and gula is. Gula is, I'm going to a particular place I want to go to so that I would be able to do the things that I should be able to do. Galut. Galut is the opposite. So let's get back to the question that we started out with. Why are there books of the Torah? Why are there books of the Torah? And uh, we remember that the Ramban had a certain idea about Rachid and Shemot. He had a certain idea about Breshit and Shemot, and his idea was, his idea was that Breshit is the Sefer, Sefer Hayitzira, and Shemot, Shemot is the Sefer Hagula. Sefer Yitzira means the Book of Creation. Now it's not clear, you know, the Maral explains that creation, where we, we usually think of creation as being the first few chapters of the book of Reishit, that's the creation of the world. But the Maharal says, no. The creation runs through the entirety of the book of Reishit. Because what has to ultimately be created is a distinction between those nations in the world that are not going to, that were not going all those nations that are not going to become the recipients of the Torah. And the one nation which will become the recipient of the Torah, that has to be created. In order to create that nation, you needed Avram and Yisok and Yaakov and Yosef and Yaakov's children and Abdus and Mitzrayim and all of that is the book of Breshit. Every word of it. Every word of it. So if you think that Yitzirah means the creation of the world, okay. 
can't really argue. That's a good, that makes sense. But you should know that the Maral thinks and the Rambam thinks that Yitzira means the creation of Am Yisrael, a distinct nation amongst nations, the people who are going to be worthy of receiving the Torah, and not only of receiving the Torah, but disseminating the Torah values, the Torah ideas, right, in the world, in the world at large, something that we have, I think, managed to do quite successfully, as the Rambam points out in Hilchot Malachim, the second book of the Torah, the second book of the Torah is called Sefer Gula. It's about redemption. Is it okay? Here it is. I'm Yisrael. They're going to get the Aseret that they brought, and they're going to get the Torah. The whole book. But we know that the book is basically divided into two. There's the Yitziat Mitzrayim Matan Torah part of the book. Then there's the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, that part of the book of Shemot. So we have to say that you have to tie them together. I mean, when you create, when you create an entity, that that in, in whose memory there is Matan Torah, that's what they have in their memory. That's what they think about. That's what Am Yisrael, the experience that Am Yisrael had. I mean, if we could think about it, they certainly could think about it. So in order to contain a nation with that memory, there had to be a Mishkan. There had to be some place where you could go, where that memory was even more alive than it was in your mind. You had to go to that Mishkan. So the second book of the Torah, according to the Ramban, second book of the Torah, according to the Ramban, was the book of redemption. Which part of it? All of it. All of it is about redemption, because the first part of the book is what happened. It's Yad Mitzrayim, Matan Torah. And the second part of the book is this major implication that, that, that we carry with us to this day, albeit in different ways. If you've gone through the experience of Matan Torah, you have to use that experience. You have to use that experience to come close to God in a tactile manner. You have to go someplace. And so the Mishkan was that place, even though the Mishkan, the Beit HaMikdash, wouldn't be built for hundreds of years. But the Mishkan was there, right away. It was there with them, and it helped them to understand that they were special. And not everybody who's special knows that they're special. So the Ramban took care of Breshid, took care of Shemot. Vayikra could be seen as an add-on. You know, Shemot, there's a Mishkan. So there are things that you do in the Mishkan. The things that you could do in the Mishkan, you can't do anyplace else. So so that's Vayikra. Didn't bother the Ramban so much. And so the Ramban says at the beginning of the book of, of Bamidbar, Akdomo, the Seba of Bamidbar, which you should be looking at. He says, this even after, after the Torah explained, the various details 
of the Torah connected to Korbanot, to sacrifices, B'Sefer HaShlishi, Vayikra, Hitchil Atal HaSadeh B'Sefer HaZeh. So the beginning of the book of Bamidbar tells me that it's mitzvot shenitztavu be'inyan o'el mo'ed. There are mitzvot that are connected not to the service of God in the Mishkan, but the, the O'el Mo'ed to the tent that contained the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Aron, the Ark. So there are many mitzvot that are connected to moving from one place in the desert to the other. And so that even though they were ultimately going to find themselves in Galut, going around in a never-ending circle, getting no place at all, getting no place. And this was a kind of Galut because the Geula was, we know where we're going, we know where we have to get to. So Binyan Ol Mo'ed, there were a lot of Dinim. Binyan Ol Mo'ed, these Dinim are not going to, as the Ramban will point out himself, these Dinim don't actually exist forever. The dinim of Ol Moed. Ukvar is here, Altumat Mikdash, Ukidoshav, and the Torah has already warned us about contaminating the Beta Mikdash or the, the holy places. Ledorot. That will always exist to some extent. It's not exactly the Mishkan, it's not exactly what we have today. So the Ramban continues and says, Atamishkan Biyotoba Midbar. Atayagbil. Ata. And now the Torah says that there's a gvul. There's a limit. You can't go every place that you want to go. You can't be every place. There's some places that are beyond you. They are places where God might show up. You better make sure that you're not in the way. Yagbil, gvul, a limit, a boundary. Et mishkan, the tabernacle. Biyotob bamidbar. When, as long as it was in the desert. You mean as long as it was in the desert, yes. In the desert. And so we may learn things from the desert situation, but the desert situation is going to be temporary. I want to tell you, this Ramban explains to us why Shavuot in the Torah is not apparently but this is a, 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 the add-on Chag Matan Shavuot is next week, right? Not this Shabbos, but next Shabbos. The Torah doesn't mention Chag Matan The Torah only says that Chag Shavuot is, is an agricultural Chag. Some, some korbanot have to be brought on that day. So you could say that somehow I mean, and also we know that if there was really a calendar, if the calendar went according to Re'iyah, 
if I had to go out and look at for a new moon, so the uh, chances that Shavuot, that Shavuot would come out of Bab Sivan are very small. I mean, on, that, on a particular year, I mean, they might come out of Bab Sivan, but they might not. It was only the fact that we made a calendar that enabled us to jiggle things around so that finally we have a, 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 a situation where every single year Vav Sivan, the sixth day of Sivan, comes out on the 50th day of Surata Omer. Isn't that so obvious? And so the question, of course, is, question of course is why didn't the Torah kind of define the holiday of Matan Torah? Why did the Torah tell us it's on a particular day? You count 50 days, count 50 days of Svira, and that's it. Whenever it comes out. So the Ramban says this. The Ramban says this. Vata Ukfar is here. I'm going back a line. Ukfar is here. Altumat Mikdash Rikidoshav Lidorot. There's a certain kind of halachic element here which is forever. Vata Yagbil et Mishkan Biyoto Bamidbar. And it says over there in Perakutet and Shmot, Kisakol Yisakel. Kisakol Yisakel. So that means that the Mishkan that was built and the Oel Moed that was set up, and the Luchot Brit, which were in the Kodesh Kodeshim, all of that smacks of what was happening in Har Sinai. What was happening in Har Sinai? What was happening in Har Sinai? Well, not everybody could come close. They had to kind of assume the the Tara, the, the purity that was necessary for that for that particular moment. And so it turns out that the replacement of Har Sinai is the Mishkan, which means that the replacement of an event that happened on a particular day was transferred to something that happens every day. Every day. The Mishkan is Matan Torah. And it's interesting because I'll teach us that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Israel for 38 years. Every day he would go and receive the next part of Torah in the Oel Moed, and then he would come and teach it to Bnei Yisrael, to his students, all of his students, so that the day of Matan Torah, he said, when was Matan Torah? Every day. Every day was Matan Torah. And if every day was Matan Torah, we know that we make we get up in the morning, the first thing we do is we say, Birkat Torah. It defines the day. It finds the day, not the day about the Torah. Kasher higbil har Sinai biyota kavod shab siva vazar kareb yumat kasher amasham. What does it say in the there? Kisakol yisakel. Vitziva v'loya voler ot kibalata kodesh and umetu and don't come when they pack up, pack things up in the old moed to move from one place to another. The same thing is true about Harsinai, Ben Yerusul Hashem, they can't come closer than the 
defined boundary. So the Ramban says, the Ramban says there's a connection between everything that happened and the Chaita Maraglin and the mitzvot of the book of Bamidbar. That it's true that B'nai Yisrael was sent back into exile. But they were sent back into exile with the Torah. And in fact, in fact, not only were they sent back into exile with the Torah, but every day, every day that they were in the desert was a day of Matan Torah, which then became Ilchot Brachot. In Ilchot Brachot, they say Birkat Torah. Everybody, men, women, Say Birkata Torah every morning. And that indicates, or that that's a kind of a, a, a request, perhaps, that that day that I got up in the morning, thankfully, and HaKadosh Baruch enabled me to do whatever it is I have to do, but I'm, I am making this day into a day of Matan Torah. And the way that I do that is by learning Torah. <coughs> So that connects us. That connects us to, on the one hand, to the Chaita Maraglim, and the other hand, to the Karbanot of the book of Ayikra, and to the fact that the, uh, the Mishkan is now constituted as the model for Matantar. Finally, Finally, he says, he, the Rambat says, Vitziva, and he commands, Ushmartem et Mishmeret HaKodesh ve et Mishmeret HaMizbeach. There's a special obligation of Ushmartem. Watch it. Take care about it. Mishmeret HaKodesh, Mishmeret HaMizbeach, Kasher HaMarsham. Vigam HaKohanim HaNigashim El Hashem Yitkadashu and the Kohanim should also take great care, follow the halachot very, very precisely. Sorry. And there's a special command. This is also part of the idea of Har Sinai. Mishmeret HaMishkan Bekelav, like to watch over them, protect them. You have to protect them. How the tribes will be displayed around the Oel Moed. The Yamod HaAmerachok, and the people will be further away. The Kohanim will be able to come close to Hashem. How will they act when they camp? And when they carry the ark uh, and the, the oil moed to the next stop. 
And what would they do in order to watch over it? All of this is because of the importance of the Mikdash. The Mikdash is the Oel Moed, but the Mikdash is also the Beta Mikdash. And it's, it's a great honor to be watched over in this way. You can't compare a, a, a palace, the king's palace, if he has a lot of protection, right? a lot of security, to a kind of a place where there is no security. So the Ramban says, again, talking about the Mikdash, and the Mikdash is Har Sinai, and the Mikdash has to be watched, has to be that, but it's portable, and it's not going anywhere because of what B'nai Israel did. So that the connection between three and four, book number three and book number four, has to do with that this. It, it, it clarifies not what should be done to build the Mishkan, but it clarifies how the relationship between the people and the Mishkan will be developed. And then the Ramban adds a thought, which we may not have thought about. Asefer Hazeh. Asefer Hazeh says, Kulo b'mitzvot sha'ah shenitztaveh bahem ba'amdam ba'midbar. Says there, there's something called mitzvah sha'ah. There are mitzvot. God says, do something. But it's only for the moment. If God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, make a nachash nachoshet, take a copper snake and put it on a kind of a sign and then the snakes will go away. So we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. If Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to take sacrifices with the adherence of the Korach revolution, we don't have to do that. There's something called mitzvah sha'ah. It's something that comes from God, but it's somehow not a divine, not a statement of the divine. Not sure. Not sure that I've got it right. But I think that that's what the Ramban is saying. It doesn't just mean it's a mitzvah for a moment. Because everything that God said should have ultimate value. So, I mean, maybe you could kind of work at it to try to find some ultimate value, but on the simple level, on the simple level, ultimate value. And then the Ramban adds this, See, he says, maybe it's the miracles that are associated with her, with this with this mitzvah there are also miracles and miracles become part of the story the Rambam says this also that why are there miracles why why do we need miracles because we can tell the story around the miracles that's what I think he is saying you see those words nisim anasim lahem lesaper kol maaseh Hashem asher asayimahem lafli Something wondrous was done by a Kodesh Baruch, and that's part of the story. 
and the end of the book of Bamidbar says right they had enemies but they were able to overcome the enemies in battles in battle they were able to overcome them these enemies. So they needed a sign. B'nai Yisrael needed a sign that the time had come for them to think about Geula again. It's all in the book of Bamidbar. They were in Galut for 38 years, moving around aimlessly, getting nowhere in particular, trying to reform the ranks and then they were getting out of it. Siper ki The story tells us that how did they know that the punishment was over? How did they know that there was a new kind of reality that they were involved in? Because Vitziva, it says, Echtichaleka Aretzlahem. And so Moshe Rabbeinu started telling them how the land of Israel would be divided up. <clears throat> divided up means Gula. We're back to the state of Gula. And this. This book doesn't have many mitzvot that are forever. Even the mitzvah of Matan Torah every day, every hour, every time you went into the Bishkan, every time Moshe Rabbeinu sat down to teach the Torah, Zulati Ktsat Mitzvot. Okay, you have a few mitzvot in Yaneha Koba note. Shit Hilbahem Besevako Anim Belonishlam Bahuram Sham Vishliman Besevrazes. So this bothers me. What do you mean? What do you mean? Be Yaneha Koba note. You see the last two words are next to the last line. Here it is. It's true they began in the book of Kohanim. For some reason, they left out a little bit of information that you might be interested in. So that leaves us with, what do you mean? Uh, forgot to put it in Vayikra, so he put it in Babidbo. He was like, Missing something, I mean, that doesn't seem reasonable. Doesn't seem reasonable. And you know that we are very much involved. We're very much involved in the notion of Seder, of order, that things have an order, and order is good, and order is helpful, order gives you understanding of things. The first thing that was taught to us in order was the creation of the world. Every day, something was created. The Torah didn't have to say that. I mean, what difference does it make to us what was created on the on day two? 
the, the children in kindergarten, they, they know that. But after that, when they grow up, they forget it. What, what do I have to know what was created on each day? Well, I imagine that there's some great uh, secret information or things that you should know. But as a result, I've come to the conclusion, I also uh, quote the Maharal, I come to the conclusion that order is an important thing. It's important to know why one thing comes before the other. And if you had to set them out, either as real things or as ideas, you would set them out in order. These words of the Ramban, these words of the Ramban at the end of his introduction to the book of Abidbar, smack of lack of order. Like, okay, Kodesh created the world. And when HaKadosh Baruch created the world, there was order, but when HaKadosh Baruch taught us about the Korban, no. We didn't have so much order. There were things that Hashem told us in Vayikra, that he could have added into Vayikra, could have added a little more. But he didn't do it because he was in Vayikra. So in other words, it leaves me with the thought. It leaves me with the thought that Order may be a very important element in the understanding of things. You know, I don't have to turn to science to try to uh, validate that statement. But sometimes order closes things off. You're stuck with the order, as good as it may be. And sometimes things have to be shaken up. And that's called lack of order. And the lack of order is important to help you see things in a different way. So that's the book of Amidbar. It's the book that helps you see things in a different way. It's the end of history and the beginning of history. It's the the fact that Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael, having been created and brought to receive the Torah, remained imperfect. Remained imperfect in a remarkable way. So imperfect that they go through the tribulations of galut, of exile, of going backwards, of not having a direction, of being out of order, so to speak. The order of things was denied. At that moment. Uh, next week, if you we'll talk a little more about Rosh Hashanah. All the best to you. Have a good Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah? Oh, Shabbos. Shabbos, yeah.